This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. We're kicking off a series today called Small Things Matter. And let me just kick off with this verse. It's going to be the leading verse that we're going to be using through the series uh, the next three weeks. It's, it's Galatians 6 7. This is how it goes. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, and there's a little bit of an emphasis there on the always, you will always harvest what you plant. How many of you are thankful that you came to church this morning after that verse? <laughs> like, oh no, I don't want to be reminded of all the seeds that I've planted in the past, right? Or maybe you do, I don't know, but uh, that's where we're going today. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight on, into sermon prep for me on a weekly basis. This happens every week for me. I, uh, I dive into a passage. Maybe I, I heard a sermon that just really impacted me. And I'm just kind of diving into that passage of scripture. And I'm, I'm just studying it and reading and preparing for the weekend. And part of the process is how I think about that verse. And so as I'm looking at the verse, I'm thinking, I'm, 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 I'm be, often it happens the way I'm thinking, man, they really need to hear this. The verse I'm reading, you know, study the, the idea, the biblical idea I'm reading. They really need to hear Talk about they, meaning you guys here at Life Church. They really need to hear this, right? And then, uh, and then as, I, as I get into it, and I've been doing this long enough, I realize that, man, no, actually, I really needed to hear this. This is why I was doing this, because I really needed to hear this, you know. Maybe you got something out of it, but I really got a lot out of it, because as I was, you know, approaching the sermon, that's how I was approaching it. Then there's the flip side of that where I'm preparing a sermon and I'm looking at my, you know, the passage and I'm studying the passage and I'm just under so much conviction and under so much challenge from the Lord that I'm just saying, God, this is for me. God, I really need this. I really desperately need this. And it turns out that, well, it looks like some of you actually needed to hear it too. So it goes both ways, right? There are some times though where I'm studying a passage of scripture or a biblical truth and the truth is that we all need to hear it. But that's really the premise of it all, that we all need to hear what, what God wants to speak to us. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. So if you're here and you've been serving Jesus for a very long time, you need to hear this. Or if you're here today because your friend bribed you to come to church to, and bought, so bought you lunch. I'm going to buy you lunch if you come to church with me and you're really not a Christian. You're not, but you also need to hear this. This is something that's applicable to all of us. And we're going to look at this passage that really is... It's really for all of us today. There's this idea called the cumulative effect. Anybody heard of the cumulative effect, if I can pronounce it right? Cumulative effect. Yes, you've heard of the cumulative effect. Everybody knows about this. We all experience it at some level or another. Here's the definition for cumulative. It's uh, a gradual building up. Okay, it's a gradual building up. That means it doesn't happen all at once. So as we're talking about the cumulative effect, it doesn't happen all at once, okay? It doesn't happen all at once. It's a gradual building up or something created by gradual additions. means that little by little things are being added. And those additions can be minuscule, can be tiny. And that's why we're calling this series Small Things Matter. Small things that build up over time have this cumulative effect. Things that after, you know, I mean, I mean they affect who we are. They affect our relationships, our finances, our health, our spiritual life. They're all impacted by this cumulative effect. And you know this. I'm not, this is actually a message today that as I 
as I myself process what I'm talking about, I realize this is actually very basic stuff. So I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. I know you know this. I think it's great for us to be reminded of it, okay? This is where we're going with this. Um, we, we know this about the cumulative effect. The thing is that we don't often realize it. We don't often process it. We don't often think about it. You know, we sometimes may not think that small things matter, but they do matter, right? That the decisions you're making today, the choices that you're choosing today will impact your future. They impact who you become. And so this is where we're going to go for the next several weeks. Here's a few examples of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, a person can become a millionaire by winning the lottery, right? How many of you want to win the lottery? Say, so see, very good Christians. They don't raise their hand because they're not, they're not buying lottery tickets. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> like, win the lottery, just tithe, okay? That, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Boy, I'm really digressing. Um, it, you can become a millionaire by will, winning the lottery. But here's the thing about winning lottery. It's, it's, it, it, you know, it's like one in 10 million can win the lottery. You know, this is not the norm. It's the exception rather than the, than the, than the norm, right? The norm is somebody who, who is wealthy, who over time did little things over time, over time, over time, and at the end of their life or towards the middle of their life, they've, they've become wealthy. They've just been adding and adding and adding. You know, this is the idea. So there's a 25-year-old young lady who, who decides she's not going to drink the expensive coffee at Starbucks anymore. She makes a decision that she's not going to buy lunch at work anymore. Instead, she's going to pack her own lunch and take it to work. And the reason she does that is because she wants to, she wants to put $5 a day away towards like a mutual fund. Now, you say $5. Well, Rich, that's so little. I mean, anybody can do this. It's so easy to do. Exactly. It is. And so she's with her friends, and she goes to Starbucks, and she, her friends order their, you know, caramel macchiato and the, whatever, all the different ones there. I only order one. I order the brew coffee, but, but she just gets her regular coffee. And her friends harass her, and like, come on, it's just, it's only a $5.83 drink. No big deal. Just get it. Get what you want. But she sticks to her gun. She's not going to do it. And every day puts $5 away towards a mutual fund. By the time she's 67 years old, 42 years have passed, and every day she's put $5 away in a particular type of fund, let's say netting around 10% interest, she will have over a million dollars just by doing nothing more than just $5 a day. And we listen to that and we're like, oh, Rich, that's just too easy. It's too simple. It's... I mean, we want big solutions, right? We, we, we find ourselves in financial crises, and what we want is a big solution, you know, God to come through in a miraculous way. It's true that it seems easy. It's easy to do. It's also easy not to do. And you know that. We all know that. I wish that when I was 25 years old, somebody would have preached this sermon to me. Because it was easy for me not to put $5 away every day for my whole life. It's easy to do. It's also easy not to do. It's easy to order water instead of soda, but it's also easy to order soda. I'm, I'm guilty. Uh, I have my daily run to come and go for my fix, you know, Diet Dr. Pepper. I, okay, a lot of confession going on here. 
Conversely, you're talking about money. Conversely, somebody is, you, you meet somebody and they're $25,000 in debt, right? They, they have this huge credit card debt. They, they're just not happy with it. Um, and it's likely that they didn't actually just, you know, one day went to the mall and had this $25,000 shopping spree. That's not usually how it happens. The way it typically happens is, you know, $20 here, $30 there, that $100 purse, that, you know, Okay, I'm not trying to stereotype. It's not that just women have the credit card debt, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's just these small incremental things that we ha- that happens over time. And when they get that first bill, maybe the bill is for six hundred or seven hundred dollars. They look and they're shocked that they actually spent that much in a month on a credit card and stuff that they can't really remember. They're shocked at the bill, but they say to themselves, "Well, it's just six hundred. I'll take care of it. I just can't take it right now, but I'll take care of it." And uh, and so sometime down the road, but they don't really take care of it. The pattern continues, the seed planting continues, and before long, they find themselves with $25,000 in debt. And then they say, I don't know how this happened. I'm not exactly sure how this happened. You see, the cumulative effect, it works for you. It also can work against you. Another example of this would be in our health, our physical health. And so I have a picture here. It's a disturbing picture, but... This is a picture. <laughs> okay, this is a. This was me last week while I was really working out. While I was gone last week, I was just gone a week. But you know, actually, no. This is very disturbing. Actually, I, we won't keep it up here long. But just making a point. Making a point. Okay. You know, first of all, I mean, you're laughing because you know that. Yes, that rich. Uh, but the reason, the second reason, is because I've only been gone a week. Like I, I wasn't here last week, right? So I've been gone a week. So you haven't. Most of you haven't seen me like in two weeks and. This doesn't happen in two weeks. In fact, I don't even think this could ever happen, really. It would involve miracles for this to happen, you know, like divine God coming down and saying, yeah, I'm just going to tape muscles onto his body or something. I don't know. But, okay, we can take a smooth that picture. Thank you. But this happens in our health, right? It doesn't happen overnight. We want that. We want, I mean, even if you had the best, the best fitness regimen ever designed, it, you couldn't accomplish that in one week or two weeks, maybe not even in a month, depending on where you are, right? It's this little things done every day, day after day after day after day that brings just things that are easy to do and things that are easy not to do. This is true even in our relationships. As a pastor, I've had the unfortunate experience of having to talk people through Talk with couples about divorce, their, them divorcing, and it's not been pleasant to have those conversations. It's been difficult to have those conversations. It's a lot of emotion and a lot of, a lot of uh, water under that bridge, a lot of stuff that's happened, that years of accumulation, you know, and um, you ask the question, what happened? And oftentimes the answer is, I don't know. I don't, we just grew apart. We fell out of love with each other. You know, maybe you could point to some little things here and there, but for the most part, for most couples, it's just, it just, it just happened that way, right? Each criticism, I mean, they were small, but each criticism was just another brick on this wall of separation. So small sin after a small sin, negativity day after day, that just compounded over time. And it became this, this challenge that you just can't overcome. This is the cumulative effect. It can work for you. It can also work against you. 
In relationship, it can also work for you. For example, a couple gets married, and early on, when they first get married, they say, you know what? We're going to pray together every day. Every night before we go to sleep, we're going to pray together. And it seems like a, such a small thing to do, right? I mean, it's just, it seems small. I mean, what is a two-minute or three-minute prayer each evening? You know, how does that impact us? It doesn't impact us a whole lot, seemingly. But if you do it night after night after night, this small thing that you're doing night after night after night turns into a life where you've developed amazing intimacy with that partner. And not just with that partner, but with God. And the three of you walk in such a connection and community with God and with each other just because of a two-minute prayer, three-minute prayer each night. This is true for us in every area of our lives. We tend to be defined by the things that, we, that are easy to do and the things that are easy not to do. Now, this is a simple principle, and I think sometimes we know it. Because I'm talking about it, you're saying, yeah, Rich, this all makes sense. You say, I get it, you know, especially when you think about money, when you think about relationships. We all get that, but I think we tend to overlook it. We tend to minimize it in the moment. We tend to minimize it in the moment. We tend to think, well, this, is, this has no really, it's so insignificant. This little, this little thing that I'm going to do or, or shouldn't do is so insignificant that it really is not going to make a big difference. But compounded over time, it just has a way of shaping our lives and making us who, who we are. And so Paul's going to talk about this in, in Galatians chapter 6. He's coming off of talking about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And basically, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is walking in the Spirit, living a life in the Spirit. There's these Spirit deposits that are being made, these seeds that are being planted by the Holy Spirit in our life that are resulting in things like love, joy, peace, kindness, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's good stuff. But then in Galatians 6, he kind of warns us that there are other seeds that we plant. And when we plant these other seeds, what happens oftentimes is we get a harvest that we don't really want. So in Galatians 6, 7, I already read it once. I read it in one translation. I'm going to read it in another translation just, just in case you didn't understand, you know this, you've heard of this, but you didn't actually catch it on the first translation I read. It says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, man or woman, a man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. You can't fool God at all. I mean, you might be able to fool your parents, you might be able to fool your, you know, your teacher at school. You might even be able to fool your spouse, but you can never fool God. You cannot fool God. See, God has built this law into the universe. It's the law of sowing and reaping. It just is. In fact, there's a lot of laws that God has established. Like one of them is, for example, the law of gravity, right? You think of the law of gravity. Um, I, I don't, like in, in terms of mechanics, you know, physics and mechanics. I don't fully understand the law of gravity. There's some of you engineers in this room. You, you get it. You understand it. But I don't fully get the law of gravity. I, I know it exists. You know. Now, I can choose. I can say to myself, you know what? Because I don't understand it, I don't believe it. Or because maybe you could say, I just don't want to believe it. So you might say that, but it doesn't suspend the law of gravity. In fact, the knowledge of the law of gravity is what keeps me about this far away from this edge because I don't want to this 230-pound frame landing on that floor, you would laugh probably 
Yeah, yeah. I, you would. <laughs> That's right. So, hey, you know, it happens. A few years back, I was up in, we were in our, in our building in North Liberty, and I was climbing through this, I was up above the ceiling, you know, pulling some, some cable through, and, and there were some other, my pastors on the other side of the wall were feeding the cable through, and I came, cave, I caved down through the ceiling and landed on this bookshelf, hit my back, fell on the ground, you know. The, it was a loud noise. A ceiling grid came down. The pastors ran around to the other side where I was, lying on the floor there, and they looked at me, and they all very, you know, with a lot of concern, said, Pastor, are you okay? Rich, are you okay? And then I said, yeah, I'm okay. And then they all started laughing. <laughs> and, and one of them even pulled out his phone to take a picture, you know. <laughs> so that happens. So you might take, get a kick of me experimenting with the law of gravity and falling onto this floor. But listen, it's a law. It's just what it is. I, cannot, I could choose not to believe it. I could choose to ignore it. But it doesn't change the fact of the law of gravity. And so it is with the law of sowing and reaping. You don't have to believe it, but it still is. And it can either work for you or it can work against you. So in Genesis 1, God explains this in physical terms. This is what he says. Let the, <clears throat> let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant. So he's talking about seeds here and plants, okay? Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. All right? So fruit, seed, plant, and seed trees and seed, okay? These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. So this is something that God is saying from the very beginning about the nature, the things of nature, trees and plants and seeds. And he's saying the plant, the trees that you're going to get, the plants that you're going to get are going to come from a seed that was planted. They're not going to be different from each other. They're going to be, they're going to correlate to each other. Okay. And he says, and that is what happened. So basically, that is exactly the story that's happened for us. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some of these this ideas of seed, sowing and reaping, and talk about some things that I think are very obvious to many of you. you as we talk about it, I don't want to insult you. Like I said, I don't want to insult your intelligence. You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to insult your intelligence. But I think sometimes we ignore it or we minimize it, okay? So the first point is this. The seed you plant matters. Seed is a very tiny little thing. And it might seem insignificant, but the seed that you plant matters. And I know this is obvious, right? Because if you want corn, you're not going to plant soy, right? If you, if you want corn and you plant soy and then soy comes up out of the ground and you look at the soy and say, what? What's going on here? You get mad? Well, you shouldn't get mad. You planted the wrong seed. Like if you want a pear tree and you plant apple seeds, what do you think you're going to get? I know, I'm just like, you're looking at me and saying, Rich, we know this stuff, get to the meat, right? See, it's obvious, and yet somehow in our lives, we, we get frustrated, maybe even surprised when we harvest things that we don't really want. We, we, we sincerely, we sincerely, we legitimately wanted a pear tree, but we planted apple seeds. And so that's what we got. See, the seed you plant matters, and Paul says you shouldn't be surprised if... This is what you get from the seeds that you've planted. In fact, in Hebrews, in Hosea, sorry, in Hosea 10, 13, it says this, you planted wickedness and now you reaped evil. I know this sermon is like going downhill, isn't it? Like, oh, man, let's get it over with, Rich. <laughs> I mean, what did you think would happen? What do you think would happen? When you sow seeds of greed or selfishness, 
You're going to get a harvest of discontent. When you sow seeds of laziness and passivity, you're going to get a, a harvest of disappointment and regret. When you sow seeds of anger and rage, you're going to get a harvest of arguing and fighting and constant discord. See, what happens often is that when, when this is our story, when we've planted certain seeds and then we're getting a harvest that we don't want, it's not really what we wanted, we never really wanted this, our tendency is to try to blame others because it's kind of embarrassing when you say to go around in the neighborhood and say, man, I've got some pear trees coming and then suddenly you have apple trees. <laughs> like your friends are like, dude, do you even know the difference? You know, they, they would mock you probably. It's kind of embarrassing. So our tendency is to blame others. And so we like to blame people for the things that are going on in our lives, the seeds that we're planting. And so we would say things like, I'm, I wouldn't be so angry and full of rage if my dad hadn't been so abusive to me. Or I wouldn't be lusting if my wife would pay more attention to me. We tend to blame others. As a pastor, I've noticed that people oftentimes like to blame God as well. Like it's not the first time this happened where a man has come into my office and he's, been, and he's angry. And he's angry at God. He says, my wife left me. Why did God let this happen? I don't say this, and maybe I do, but I don't say it in these kind of words, but what did you think would happen after 15 years of neglect, those seeds that you were planting? What do you think would happen after years of just conflict every day? This is what happens. This is what happens, right? And so a wife comes into my office and she wants love and intimacy in her relationship, but the seed that she's planted is control and criticism. And so she doesn't get what she wants. I'm talking about relationships, so there's, there's like I said, this works for you and it works against you. It's also work for you and against you, even in spiritual realm. We don't have to talk about the heavy of a relationship, for, for example. We could talk about things like joy. Say you're here and you're, as a Christian, I just want to be a more joyful, happy person. I just want to have more joy in my life, more positivity in my life. But you continue to sow seeds of bitterness and, and you don't extend forgiveness to others and you compare yourself with other people and, you, and you, it's, a, it's the constant this and constant. And then you, at the end of the day, you wonder, why isn't God giving me more joy? Why don't I have more peace? Well, what do you think would happen from planting those seeds? I mean, if you want peace and joy, then you need to sow seeds of gratitude and thanksgiving. That's how you get peace and joy. By sowing the right seed. So this, the seed matters, right? Small things matter. Genesis 6, 8, this is what Paul says. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Basically, Paul is saying, you, we're all planting seeds, and they either lead towards destruction, or they lead towards blessing. So what are you going to do, Right? Another principle that I think is obviously you know this is a seed won't grow until it's planted, right? You get it? You don't put it in the ground and water it, it's not, not going to grow. This won't happen. It's an obvious truth. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, he says, it's the wise man who hears my words, he says, who hears my words and puts them into practice. That's the wise person. And he's, in contra- he's contrasting to those who just hear the word and do nothing with it. And I think that's the reality for many of us. Many of us know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. It's not a mystery to us. We know exactly what needs to happen to result in a better marriage or in a better financial world or in a better you know, relationship with our kids or in a better you know, job experience. We know exactly what we need to be doing. The seeds are in our hand, but they're not getting planted. 
They're not being put in the ground. Uh, years ago, I, you know, many of you know that we're not the green thumb kind of family. We, we don't, like most plants that we purchase die. So just so you know that, okay? But, but years ago, I thought, I need to get some flowers in our yard. You know, it's such a bare yard. So we, I went to Lowe's and I talked to a sweet old lady there at Lowe's and she's like, yeah, petunias are some of my favorites. So I went looking for petunia seeds. And I found a little packet of petunia seeds. It's like in a little packet, you know? And I'm like, yes, petunia seeds. So I go, I'm on my way home and I'm talking to somebody on the phone and they say, well, yeah, no, dude, you, you're gonna have to like plant this somewhere and then you're just gonna have to, you have to wait and take care of it and, and it's gonna be like next year. I'm like, what? Because I was thinking like I would plant them and maybe a month later I had some, some flowers, right? It's not gonna happen that way. I told you, I don't know anything about this stuff. So, 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 so I, I, I'm in the car, in my truck, and I had the seeds, and I just, I opened the glove compartment, and just threw them in the glove compartment, and closed the glove compartment. So years later, my truck, I had this, uh, you know, accident in my truck, and, and I, it gets totaled, and the insurance company wants my truck, so I'm clearing it all out, and I found that little packet of, it's like eight years later, I found a little packet of petunia seeds, you know. Now, I didn't get that packet and look at it and say, Darn petunias. Why, why don't you grow? You should, have been, you should have grown. You should have become flowers by now. Eight years have passed, right? I didn't do that because I knew good and well that it wasn't planted. It was still in the pack. It was just there. And I think that that's oftentimes where we are. That's the tendency in my life, probably the tendency in your life, is to know exactly what God wants you to do, but you don't put it into practice. You throw it in the glove compartment. Okay. Last truth of sowing and reaping is you will always reap more than you sow. That's an obvious truth. If you plant some apple seed, you expect to get many apples, right? You expect a bigger harvest. The law of sowing and reaping teaches us that small things matter. They matter. They either lead towards tremendous destruction or they lead towards tremendous blessing. By the little seeds that we're planting. It doesn't matter. You always reap more than you sow. I think it's easy for us to think, though, sometimes that it's not a big deal. Like, remember that girl, the 25-year-old girl who says, I'm not going to buy, you know, the expensive coffee anymore? You say, well, it's just one time. We know this, human nature. We understand it, right? It's just one time. And then it's another time. And then it's another time. And then it's another time. And before long, it's... It's just our habit because it's founded on things that are easy to do and things that are easy not to do. And so you might say, so it's just one date. I mean, I know he's got a sketchy reputation. I know he's, he's not a really good guy. He's not a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. He's not a Christian. I'm just, but it's just one date. But you have to remember, you will always reap or harvest more than you sow. You will always harvest more than you sow. And this can work for you and it can work against you can work for you spiritually, for example. You might make a decision. Hey, I, I want to I gr- draw closer to God. I want to become more like Jesus. And so you just make a decision. I'm going to pray and read my Bible every single day. You take out 10 minutes in the evening or 10 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes and 30 minutes, whatever. You just make a decision to do that. And every single day you decide, I'm going to dive into the scriptures and I'm going and, and to pray. And you do this tomorrow and the day after that and then the day after that and the day after that and then before long you find yourself in this place like wow I I'm not struggling with the sin that I used to struggle with 
Like you didn't like focus in on fixing that sin. You just focused in on basically planting good seed. And you find that suddenly spiritual things are growing inside of you. you you've got the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace growing inside. You didn't try. You didn't force it. You were just planting the right seed. And it was resulting in that kind of harvest. It can work for you. It can work against you. It's also true in our marriage, right? You take this principle into your marriage and, you know, maybe there's a lot of issues. Maybe there's a lot of problems in your marriage. You decide, I'm going to start, I'm going to start sowing some seeds of affirmation and encouragement towards my wife and my husband. Write them a little note every day. There's this... Um, there's this theory from, from, from the 80s. It's called the broken window theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. It's, um, it came from New York. It was, you know, it, it originated in the city of New York. Uh, and this is, this is what, it, what it means. It's uh, the broken window theory. It's a theory that states that visible signs of crime, antisocial behavior, and civil disorder create an urban environment that encourages further crime disorder, including serious crime. So it's saying visible signs of something that look wrong, create an environment that fosters more crime. That's basically what this, this theory is saying. So it was, found, it was originated in, 19, in the 1980s when crime in New York City was at its worst. I mean, it was, it, it, it was, there was neighborhoods in New York that police were just refusing to go into anymore. Crime was terrible. And it was out of, you know, there was a lot of reasons for it. There was racism and there was, you know, broken family structures and there was, you know, disenfranchisement. There were so many things that were causing this to happen, in this crime in these places. And so, and they, they knew, they knew the problem was so significant that it, was, it felt impossible to solve the problem. But there was these criminologists that were noticing, they noticed that there was this inordinate amount of broken windows in neighborhoods where there was high crime. Like if you drive through a regular neighborhood, all the windows are intact. You drive through a, a neighborhood with high crime, the windows were broken. And they said, hmm, maybe what we need to do is we need to start by fixing the broken windows. And so they started repairing the broken windows. Now, it needed more than that. There was a lot of stuff that needed to happen to, to solve the problem of crime, but they started with the broken windows. Four years later, crime had, had been cut in half. And it started, a lot of things were done, but it started by just simply repairing the broken windows. And I think many of us, if you're challenged in your life, if you're reaping a harvest of something you never really wanted to reap in your life, that you could probably apply this to your own life as well. You can look at the areas of your life where, where you need to make some what seemingly insignificant changes. What could they be? What should they be? Maybe it's debt. Maybe you are so over your head in debt that you wish you, could just, you wish you could just live a normal life and not think about the debt, but basically you wake up every morning with this looming weight over your head. <clears throat> you just want to get rid of that. And you would love for somebody to just drop, you know, 50 grand in your, in your bank account and solve the problem or 100 grand or whatever it might be. That's kind of unlikely. What is actually more reasonable is that you simply start fixing the broken windows and you start with the smallest debt you have and make a decision in six months that debt's going to be gone. And then you go to the next one and say in six months that one's going to be gone. And they go to the next one and say in six months that one's going to be gone. And you just kind of start doing that. It's amazing 
What happens with the law of sowing and reaping? It just starts multiplying itself. And before long, you find yourself not only being able to pay off debt, but you find yourself with more money in the bank, more disposable, disposable cash. And you're like, wow, what's happening here? Well, it's the law of sowing. You're planting the right seeds. This also can happen in, in, in your marriage. Maybe your marriage is seeing a lot of struggles. And um, there's a lot of water under that bridge. And you're just not sure if you're ever going to overcome it. But maybe you can start planting some seeds. Maybe you can lean across into that room and rub her back and whisper a prayer every evening. I heard just sitting here in this room, actually, powerful testimony of amazing transfer t- transformation in a relationship that's, that literally was on the brink of divorce and how God has transformed it simply by the right seeds being planted. I mean, he's sitting here. I'm not going to point him out, but he's sitting here right now. Maybe you know that you need to be praying for your kids. You're a dad here, and you need to be you need to be raising your kids in the fear of the Lord. You need to be raising your kids the way they should be growing up as followers of Jesus Christ. And you know, you know that you should be praying for them. You know that you should be investing in them. But the seed is just in your hand, and it hasn't been planted. What if you just simply did apply the broken window theory and just simply turn the radio off on your way to work and on your way to work just whisper a prayer for all your kids and do that Monday, then Tuesday, then Wednesday, then Thursday, then Friday, and then come back around Monday again and do it again. It's amazing what could happen when we just do the little things because small things matter. I'm going to ask you to stand. Paul says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. What I love about God is that we serve a loving, gracious Father. One of the names for our Heavenly Father is Lord of the Harvest. Ah, man, that that, that just touches me. He's the Lord of the Harvest. And so that means, here's how I interpret that. If today you make a choice, make a decision, I'm going to start planting some good seed. I'm going to stop holding the seed in my hand, and I'm going to actually put them in the ground. And I'm going to start trusting God that He, this loving, heavenly Father that we have, He is the Lord of the harvest. He's going to bring about an amazing harvest in your life as you start planting. And it might seem impossible right now. You might see barren ground. You might see, you might see impossibilities in your life. But if you put the right seed in the ground and you just start nurturing it and you make sure you're planting that seed, God can bring forth a harvest in your life that you will never even have dreamed of. You can do that. And so I'm going to just pray prophetically over you this morning that God is going to bring about harvest in your life as you start planting the seeds, as you pay attention to the seeds that you plant. Amen? Father, I just want to thank you, God, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for all of us in this room right now. God, you have called us. You have invited us into a journey with you, Jesus. God, you've, if you've called us, Father, to, to, uh, to just not simply just live a life in this, on this earth, but, Lord, to be witnesses for you, God, to live a life that brings glory to your name. And, Father, that happens in many ways of how our life gets expressed in, this, in, the, in the world that we live in. So, Father, help us to start planting good seeds today. Help us, Father, to, to not minimize. It's just a seed. It's just a small seed. Help us to not minimize that, Father. 
Lord, there are some in this room that are planting seeds, Father, that are going to reap destruction in their future. God, will you convict them of that, Father? You will call them away from that, Lord. And Father, there are those in this room that are just, they have, they know what they need to do. They know how they need to do it, but they haven't planted the seed yet. Father, will you help us to be people who plant good seed and trust you for a harvest, a harvest that we have never even dreamed or imagined. In Jesus' name.